You can turn over in your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. We have a prophecy against the shepherds of Judah. Last week, in chapter 33, we saw the watchman. Prophecy about the watchman. Now, those are pretty easy to identify as being the prophets. And we might want to identify the shepherds as with the pastor. Except that the pastor is a New Testament church age ministry, not one in Old Testament times. So here in chapter 34, who are the shepherds? We're going to take some time looking at that. We'll look at the warning that is given to them, signs of a bad shepherd, as well as a good one. And the future of the sheep. Ezekiel gets into the future of the sheep here. Many uh, familiar phrases you will hear as we read these verses, including, there shall be showers of blessing, comes out of this chapter. Now, last week we looked at the watchman, and we saw that the watchman, if he was giving warning, needed to give that warning out to the people. And if he didn't, God would require the blood of the people on the watchman's head. But if the watchman gave the word, and the people did not yield to it, did not listen, then the blood would be on their own head. Now this, of course, is paramount to, a, to the prophets' ministry, Old Testament and New Testament. And the New Testament prophets are going to be walking in this, and, and certainly they do. As a pastor, I don't walk in a prophet's ministry. There is somewhat of a watchman ministry that we, as pastors, do walk in. But one thing I forgot to make known to you last time, um, had it in my notes to go over with you and just skipped right over it, wanted to make sure that we, we covered it. The watchman is required to give the word. He is not required to convince the people of it. So that's why you don't ever see Ezekiel arguing them, arguing with them and with their side and, and so forth. He just, he just produces it. Now I've tried to bring this into my own life this uh, teachment, this teaching that Ezekiel gave us on the watchman, in that there are times that God has shown me things that are to come, not necessarily a prophetic and in a, in a future predicting type of way, but just uh, uh, things that are coming that we had to get ready for. And if I am not to argue, to convince people to believe that what I'm, what I what I heard from God is true. I'm just supposed to to declare it. If that's something that I'm not supposed to do, then certainly it is not something that I'm supposed to do. With something is my own opinion. And so, even though when I was in college, I did a lot of arguing, I I've worked my way out of that. And anymore, I'm very resistant to to doing too much of that, simply because of this this type of teaching here. If God is not wanting the watchman to argue with people to convince them of the word they had from God, how much less for something that's our own opinion. So just keep that in, in mind as we go on through, because we all know there's the opinions of God, there's our opinions, but we are convinced generally of both of them. We have to be, be careful about that. Anyway, Ezekiel chapter 34, and verse 1, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. 
Now this is probably given a short time after the previous one given for the watchman. Uh, whether that short time is within hours, days, whatever it might be. It's not that, not that long of a period of time, but the date is not given. But it gives us God's view of the shepherds. In verse uh, 2 and 3, we see that instead of feeding the hungry flock, they use the sheep to selfishly tend to their own needs. He says to them, he says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. See, they don't have a heart for the for the people. The people are a means for them to get what it is that they want, what it is that they feel that they need. And you'll notice this, of course, with people in, in various areas. Uh, even at, uh, at work, you can find bosses who are very concerned with those that are their employees and other bosses who really don't care about their employees. I talk with some people here at church and some of the businesses that they run and how many of the business owners I know will give up their own salary in order to make sure that they pay the salaries of the, the people that work for them. And that's the attitude that God wants to see inside the shepherds that are here that he's uh, speaking his word to, but he doesn't see that. So instead of feeding the hungry flock, they are using the sheep to tend to their own needs. Let's go on to verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So instead of strengthening the weak, they're cruel to them. The role of the shepherd is to take the weak of the sheep and to strengthen them and to get them strong, to bind up whatever is broken, to help heal those that are sick. This is the, the role of the shepherd, but they aren't doing that. If they're sick, they're just kind of casting them out, letting them fend for themselves, die, get worse, whatever it might be. He says, you haven't brought back that which was driven away, nor sought what was lost. This is the role he expected of them. He expected to have such concern for them that if something drove them away, they would go out and get them. Not, not caring about their own life or whatever it was that drove them away. If something was lost, they would go out there and they would find them. But he said, with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. Then he goes on in verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. The reason that you are scattered is either something drove you away from the flock, or there was something missing that you had to go out and find. So if they were not feeding them, then the sheep felt the need to go on out and to find food wherever they could. And so they began to wander away. And as they began to wander, they're not in the group. They don't have the shepherd there who's supposed to be protecting them. So the beasts of the field would come and they would prey upon them. He said, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. So this is the state that God saw Israel, uh, in this case Judah, in. And this is the way that he looked at the shepherds the ones who were supposed to be taking care of this. So instead of leading the flock, the sheep wandered and the sheep fell prey. 
The shepherds basically were selfish. The flock was not fed. It wasn't cared for. It wasn't protected. They wouldn't even go searching for them when they were lost. So basically, the shepherds did not fulfill the duties of their position. But they knew how to profit from it. Isn't that interesting how people can learn how to profit from their position, but their position is one that's supposed to benefit the people that they serve. But instead of using it to benefit, they use it for themselves to profit. This is nothing new. This is nothing that has just happened in recent times. It's something that's happened all along, and God is commanding these shepherds, you know what's going on with you guys. You know how to profit. You know how to get gain from the position that you're in, but you don't know how to fulfill the responsibilities. I saw this uh, interesting quote on this particular verse. It said they were dining on roche lamb and dressed in sheepskin jackets. As they relaxed in their privileged, privileged position, the state of their flocks steadily decreased. Verse 7, Therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, and that they may no longer be food for them. So God's going to come and He's going to judge the shepherds, stop them from feeding on or basically using the flock. Matthew 20, I wrote this reference down for you in your outline. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. There you will see what He says the, the role of a leader should be the role of one who is there to serve the people. He says, you're, you're there to be a servant. You're there to have a servant mentality, not one to lord it over those that are under you. So you can go back and refer to those verses if you like to. To be a shepherd carries the responsibility which come with certain rights and privileges. So there are responsibilities that come with the position, but there's also certain rights and certain privileges that come along with that as well. There's caring for the needs of the people, not striving for your own. That's something that you should be doing if you're in this position of a shepherd. Caring for the needs of, of people, not striving for their own. You'll see this even in the role of a parent. The role of a parent is to, to make sure that the children are clothed, that the children are fed, that the children are protected, that the children are kept in a, in a, in a uh, safe area. That the, the good parent is one who puts the children's needs above their own. But you know, we've all heard stories of where the, the parents begin to exploit the children and use the children to, to get things for them, send the, the children out to work while they stay at home. Here's the second thing. Knowing that failure is in each shepherd, is shepherd's capabilities. This is something that we have to get across. Anyone who stands in the role of a shepherd has the capacity to fail has the capacity to leave the responsibilities and focus on the rights and privileges. If you don't stay mindful of that, then you will certainly probably uh, certainly come under it. The enemy is always trying to pull people out of doing what God wants them to do into doing what he wants them to do, which is to harm the flock. 
than to harm the sheep. Third thing is failure is walking in the rights and privileges, but neglecting the responsibilities. To God, that's failure. You have rights and privileges in whatever role, whatever position that you're at, but you're neglecting the responsibilities of it. Have you ever had a boss who walked in all the rights and privileges of being a boss, but didn't fulfill the responsibilities? Didn't do the things he was supposed to do? That can become very frustrating for the people underneath. So just as the watchman, just as with the watchman, when the shepherds fail, they will suffer judgment and the people will suffer misery. If the watchmen don't do what they're supposed to do, the people suffered because disaster came upon them. In the same way, the shepherds don't do what they're supposed to do. Their failure not only results in the judgment of the shepherds, but it also results in that the people don't walk in the things that God wants them to be walking in. So just as with the, with the watchmen, we have to be, be careful to fulfill what God says we are to do and not what we want to do. God says, if I give you the word, you just need to deliver it. Don't try and talk to people into it. Don't try and convince them of it. You just don't change it. Remember with Ezekiel, how clear God was with that. Just stay, say exactly what I stated to you. And Ezekiel, boy, he learned that lesson. He, he walked in that. If God said it a certain way, he said it exactly that way. And God got to a place where he could trust him and gave him some very delicate words. Some, some words that the, the level of prophecy is just soaring above uh, others that we have. But it's because God could trust him with those words. Now, God's judgment on the shepherds is because of his love for the sheep. Don't lose sight of that. God will judge the shepherds because of his love for the sheep. Sometimes we think God loves the shepherds more than the sheep, but that's not the case. God actually loves the sheep greatly. And because of his great love for the sheep, he will bring those shepherds into judgment who don't operate the way that they should. All right, let's go on to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. So basically God is saying, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step in there myself. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. And this is certainly what God does. After the captivity is over, he brings them from all over. And they come. And not only did he do it in that day, but also when Israel was brought back into the land in the, uh, after World War II, he brought them from all countries. It was God who led them. It was God who brought them out. And so he did that on two different occasions. So since the shepherds won't carry out their responsibilities, God's going to step in and he's going to do it. It seems that God depends on us to do what he has given us to do. There's a dependency. God is depending on us to do our role as a watchman, to do our role as a, as a servant, to do our role as a shepherd, to do our role, whatever it might be. God is depending on us to do that role. If all fails and everyone does not do the role that they're supposed to do, God's love for the sheep is so great, he will step in himself and do it. But he does prefer that the people that are called into those things would do it. 
Now, I made this note. This is not in your outline. It's just in mine. How willing the sheep were to yield isn't brought up. See, the shepherds were supposed to do some things for them, feed them. They were supposed to protect them. In order to protect them, they had to listen, go where the shepherd tells them to go. Uh, How willing the sheep were to yield to what the shepherd said, that's not brought up. Apparently, it's not too important, this one, because the, the shepherds were not doing their role. Therefore, the people's willingness to follow uh, wasn't, brought into, uh, wasn't brought to a place of being tested. So as with the watchmen, do what you are supposed to do, and the accountability will not fall on you. So if you happen to be in a watchman role, make sure that you say what God says to say. If you happen to be in a shepherd role, make sure that you do the things that he says there. Feed, protect, watch over, go after, do all those things that he, he says to do. If they don't respond, if they don't yield, that's on them. But you make sure you go out there and do what God has told you to do. Now, for those who want to count, sometimes we like to go through these things and count. I didn't count these, somebody else did, and it wasn't Dakes. But I'm sure if you opened up Dakes, he probably has the number in there too. God gives 25 promises of judgment and deliverance in these verses that we're reading. 25 promises of judgment and deliverance. Verse 14. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a gold, I'm sorry, in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Now what he's saying here is we got a whole bunch of, of sheep in, in this group. And if we got some fat ones and we got some broken and skinny ones, the fat ones I'm targeting. Because what it means is the fat ones uh, made sure that the weak and the the uh, injured ones, the they, they didn't get what the food that they needed. He's going to elaborate that here in a minute. But he's going to find out, all right, you are fat. You have been eating plenty. So obviously, you're not helping out those that were weak. You were taking more than you needed. So God is the shepherd. This is one of the oldest designations used for God. And I gave you the reference there for it. We're not going to read it here now, but you can read it later. Genesis 49, 24 calls God the shepherd. And this is something that he uses very often. It's a metaphor that uh, that God enjoys. Uh, I don't know if he just created sheep just to show us what a shepherd would be like, but it certainly is a, a great uh, visual for us to be able to see that God is the great shepherd and we are the sheep. So it says, God will find them gather them and bring them out from the countries where they are scattered. And God will feed them. It's important that the sheep be fed. This is something that has to go on on a regular basis. You need to need to feed the sheep. You need to take care of the sheep. You need to do it every day. He will seek, bring back, fix, strengthen, and He will judge. He's going to bring judgment on those that were abusing those in the flock. Those that that pushed aside the needed, those that had needs, in order to not take care of their own needs, but go over and above their own needs. In Psalm 23, we have the best picture of what a shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now this psalm gives us a picture. And even though I would say most of us have never been a shepherd. We may not even have been around sheep except to go to some of the the farms where you can go in there and you can buy some food and put your hand out there and let the, the sheep eat off of your hand. But we can read about it. We can watch some videos on it. We can envision it. We can see ourselves being able to do this. Way back in the days when I was at King's College, one of those uh, very memorable services that I had, I can't say I remember all of them, but there were a handful that I do. And one in particular that I did is a gentleman who came in to talk about Bible translation and the problems that they run into in translating the Bible. And this particular one, we talked about the story. I don't remember if he was the one that was went out on this project or if he just was telling us about it. But he went to, a, to an island nation and they were fairly secluded. All they really had exposure to what was what was on the island. And so they came in with the Word of God and were trying to translate the Bible into their language. Now, when you translate the Bible into the language of a, of a group of people, you can't just translate the words. You have, to, you have to understand the concepts that they understand. And so he brought up this particular uh, chapter. He said, uh, when you're bringing in the concept of a shepherd to these people, here's what we ran into. In this, this uh, island nation here, they, um, they didn't have sheep. And they didn't have shepherds. If you don't have sheep, you don't have shepherds. What they did have was they had goats. And so then instead of shepherds, they had goat herders. So he said, if you were going to translate this verse into something they would understand, it would go something like this. The Lord is my goat herder. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Well, the um, uh, sheep you can cause to lie down. Goats are a little bit more stubborn that way. And so if you're going to get them to lie down, you almost have to sit on them. So he uh, you have to, instead of he makes me to lie down in green pastures, it, he, had a, he would say we have to translate that something like he forces me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. Well, see, this was an island nation. They didn't really have any still waters. They had beaches. And so he said, you would translate this, he leads me along the beaches. Except if you ever had a goat, you know you don't lead them, you drag them. And so you would say to this, he drags me along the beaches. If you're going to just translate this into, uh, into, and so he would, he kept on going on. That's mostly what I remembered from this. But we have the ability to take ourselves out of the situation we're in and put ourselves into a shepherd's situation and understand what the Lord is talking about. But imagine if you couldn't. How much this teaches us about the things of God. How much David showed us about being a shepherd and how he would give his life for the sheep and showed us a great example of the Lord Jesus as a shepherd. Well, Ezekiel's message shows us a, a few things. First off, that the shepherd's role is an under-shepherd role. That God is the over-shepherd, and any shepherd that he appoints is one who's doing an under-shepherd role, and so you have the over-shepherd to answer to. He teaches us that it is both a privilege and a responsibility. 
When under-shepherds fail, God will step in. And this is one I have a, have a blank in your outline if you want to write this in. It seems the sheep matter more to God than the shepherds. God cares a lot about his sheep. And don't think that just because certain people are in a role, a watchman role or a shepherd role, that God cares more about them than he cares about, about the sheep. He does not. Without sheep, there would be no shepherds. We need to have sheep in order to have the shepherds. So God's metaphor of the shepherd is based on the love and the care of the over-shepherd. If we separate ourselves from that love and care, we can never fulfill the function and purpose of a shepherd. Remember Paul's words to Timothy. No one else is like-minded. No one else has this mindset. He wrote that about Timothy. That Paul and Timothy, as far as Paul saw, no one else had the mindset that Timothy did and that Paul did and that they were able to put all of their needs out and just focus on the needs of the people. Well, I'd say, well, that's good company for Timothy to be in. But of all the great people that Paul had in his ministry, it's, uh, it's amazing that all he could say this about was Timothy. It seems that most times, even though we were maybe walking in a watchman role or walking in a shepherd role, we still focus a lot on our own, on our own needs. Well, let's take a look at the future of the sheep here. In verse 17, And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. So after the shepherd discussion, we do a switch and we go back to the present day. We're going back to the present day situation. What's going on? What we're into here now. So he switches back to the crisis of today and the hope of tomorrow. Right now we're in a crisis, but... There's a hope for tomorrow. The crisis is that Jerusalem has just been destroyed. All hope that it would not be is gone. That's their crisis. But he's now going to be painting a picture of the hope for tomorrow. Now, I, I pulled out the New Century Version for Ezekiel 34:17 because it's kind of tough to read this one in the New King James when it says, As for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. So this will give you a little better picture of it. This is what the Lord says. As for you, my flock, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the male sheep and the male goats. And I'm told what this is talking about with the, the, the male sheep and the male goats is that one of those groups is a little more obstinate than the other. And so he's not going to treat them all in the same way. He's going to take the more obstinate ones. He's going to treat them in a, in a more op, as if they were more obstinate. And the ones that are not as obstinate as, uh, uh, as, as what they should be treated. He's going to judge between sheep. Just because you're a sheep doesn't mean that everybody gets judged the same. He's going to see what that sheep has been doing. Because our God is that good of a shepherd, he is able to do that. Let's go on to verse 18. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture, and to have drunk all, uh, drunk of the clear waters, and that you must foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet, and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Now what he's saying here is that uh, certain sheep have been bullies. And he may be referring to the rams here, he may be referring to the male goats, he may be referring to some of the bully sheep, whatever it might be. But what they would do is they would come upon the, the pasture, and they would get there first, they would nudge out of the way the, others, the weaker sheep, 
They'd use their shoulders, they'd use their side, and they'd butt them one way or butt them the other way and get them to fall down and not be able to, to get there. They would get there to the green pasture and they would eat up the grass. And after they had their fold, they would trample the grass, the good grass that they left, they would trample it down so that it was not good grass for the rest of them to eat. And then when they would go and get a drink out of the water, when they got to the water, it was all clear. It was uh, not disturbed. And they would get their drink from the clear water. And then instead of just leaving it alone, they would take their hooves and they would walk through the clear water and stir up all the dirt. So that when the next people, next uh, sheep came, they would have to be drinking muddy water instead of clear water. Now, if you had a choice of drinking clear water or muddy water, what would you drink? And so that's what he's saying. God's saying, I, I saw this going on. I saw this happening. That you guys selfishly took care of your own needs and then took care of the, the situation so that the rest of the people couldn't get what they needed. That is not the heart of a shepherd. That is not someone who cares for the flock at all. And God's upset. He's ready to judge these folks. Verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep. So in other words, when you come before God to be judged, if you are a fat sheep, um, you're going to have a hard time getting, your, getting an argument in. If you're a lean, skinny sheep, you can say, hey, I, I barely got any food and I got the evidence to prove it. But the fat sheep, they got the evidence to prove they were a bully. And so that's what God is, is using. Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. So there's a selfish, self-serving nature of the shepherds, but it will not stay hidden. God will bring it out. Now there's a, a verse in Second Samuel 7, verse 16. It says, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. This is speaking of the son of David. That David would have a son and that son would reign forever. And that was uh, prophesied back in Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, 16 and a number of other places after that. But here in verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. Now when it says my servant David, it's not actually talking about David because at the time of this writing, David is dead. David has gone on. He has served his time as king and he has he has gone on as referring to Messiah, the seed that would be born to the house of David and who would rule. And that would be Jesus, Messiah. Verse 25, I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Now think about that. How many of you folks like to sleep in the woods? And the main reason we don't like to sleep in the woods, well, there's bears out there. Uh, there's snakes out there in the wood. Uh, there's, there's other creatures that, you know, wolves and, and things that howl in the night. Uh, we don't like these things. Uh, even if you don't want to get something big and vicious, there's uh, bugs and, and all sorts of stuff like that. This is this is uh, not, not something that we want. And so because of that, we don't like to sleep in the woods. Now, some people don't care about those things, and they go ahead and they sleep in the woods anyway. But what he's saying here is, I'm going to cause it to be that you will be safe in the land. 
And that you'll be so safe in a land, you'll even sleep in the woods. Verse 26, I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. You all know that hymn? If you don't, uh, I guess you haven't been in the, in the church long enough. That's, a, that's an old family, uh, famous hymn. I remember singing when I was a kid, There shall be showers of blessing. And this is where that phrase comes from. He says, I will call showers to come down in their season, and there shall be showers of blessing. Now, if you uh, were up on the church Facebook page, I gave you a, a link to a Rick Renner video. And uh, there's another one that's coming up, but it won't come up until Friday. I, I put it in there to, to come up then. On one of those videos, he talks about how the blessings come down. He talks about the wording in the Greek that talks about actually the blessings coming down as a torrential downpour. And he asked this wonderful question. He says, all right, if the blessings of God are a torrential downpour all around me, how is it that I am not occasionally hit by one of them? <laughs> Isn't that a great question? <laughs> all right, if you want to get the answer to that, go out, you have to go up there and watch the video. So there's, uh, there's some, some great teaching videos, Brother Rick. I put uh, one up there, I think it was on Monday, and another one will show up on your, your feed on Friday. Make sure you read those. I'm not sure which one of those was covering it, but uh, I think it was the Monday one. So let's go on here. Verse 27. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord. When I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered, delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely. And no one shall make them afraid. Isn't that great that no one would make you afraid? The situation we have right now that he's been talking about with the sheep, you don't get the idea that the sheep are not afraid. You get the idea that the sheep are very afraid. They're afraid of their leaders. They're afraid of, of uh, the, the, what the watchmen are doing or not doing. They're afraid of the other sheep. There's issues with the rams and the goats. And so whether they're in the the fold, or whether they're outside the fold, there's dangers, and there's things that are not going well. They're not being fed. They have to wander around where the enemy is and possibly fall prey just to go out and to find food. But he says, no, that won't be. You'll dwell in safely, safety, and no one shall make you afraid. And I will rise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. Well, God has not changed his view of the sheep, he has not changed his view of the flock. It's still the same to him. He still has just as much love for the sheep now as he had then. And he still requires just as much from the shepherds and from the watchmen. But here he's talking about Israel having a future of safety, security, and supply. That all these things would come to them. But right now they don't have those things. But he says the future is coming. I'm going to be stepping in the role of the shepherd and I'm going to be taking over for those who failed 
So, here's the question. Who are the shepherds in the Old Testament? There are three areas that God set up to keep Israel in line. Three areas. The first one was the priest. And the priests, of course, they were to administer the sacrifices. Now, there was some teaching of the Word of God that would go on from them. And uh, all the things around the feast, the, uh, the things that God had set up to remind them of what God had done for them in the past. There were the prophets. The prophets were to hear the Word of the Lord. Sometimes that word was an encouraging word. Keep on doing what you're doing. You're going in a good direction. Sometimes that word was a rebuke. You've, uh, you've missed the mark. You've gone in the wrong direction. You need to make, make a correction here. But there was a third area. And this third area evolved over Israel's time from where it began. But it, it was always present. And that third area is the rulers. Those who ruled over the house. Back in the days when Israel first came out of the uh, out of the land of Egypt, and we're in the wilderness, they, uh, we find out that they had leaders. They had leaders that were over families. They had leaders that were over tribes. Eventually, that became even more refined when Jethro came and he visited Moses and he said, you can't sit here and judge all these people. You need to uh, give yourself a break here. And so he told them how to have some over a hundred and some over a thousand, and they broke it down even more. But even before that happened, they had rulers. They had people that would rule a household. They would rule a clan. They had ones that would rule a tribe. They had all this rulership going in. And we, we talked a little bit about that uh, a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning when we were looking at the uh, Moses being up on the mountain. And you remember it was just the Levites, the tribe of the Levites, who did not go after the idolatry. And that is probably because of the leadership. If you have an entire tribe... The only thing that is unique about that tribe compared to all the others is the rulers they had in that tribe. So that would be the rulers that would be here. Now, originally, their rulers were not set up to have a king. God was their king. And they would have judges that would come up. They would be part of the rulers that they would have. Uh, they would have family rulers. They would have clan rulers. They would have tribe rulers. The tribe of Judah would have its rulers. Uh, they would, the tribe of Simeon would have its rulers. But it changed with Saul. The people asked for a king, and Saul was made king, and Saul was then rejected of being king, and then David was selected, and then David showed himself to be a man after God's own heart, and God gave him the promise that through him Messiah would come, and he would always have one on the throne. So they became the rulers. They became the overall ruler, but as with any nation, the king does not rule the nation by himself. There were others that were there as well. There were others that maybe were over cities, or over villages. There were uh, different ones who ruled different aspects of the kingdom. And so there are many types of rulers throughout. And what this word is telling us is these shepherds were these rulers. These shepherds were the ones who were supposed to make sure that the, that the nation was fed. And they were not doing that. They were making sure that they themselves were fed. They were the ones who were supposed to be making sure that the nation was protected. And they weren't making sure the nation was protected. They didn't care about the protection of the people. They cared about the protection of themselves. They didn't care about taking care of the weak. Because that would take away some of the supply that they would want to have for themselves. And then it didn't have the heart for the weak. And so all these things came upon these, these rulers. And they became very selfish. And they became very fat. 
and they became very filled with things that they wanted. They became rich at the expense of the people. And God noticed, and God said, you shepherds, you are not doing the role that you were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be teaching the Word of God as the rulers and encouraging people to follow after God. But they were not following after God themselves. They were not studying the Word of God themselves. And God was not a priority to them. And they could not pass on that priority to the other people. So these rulers, they had turned bad from the king on down. There are many times we saw that the king was bad. But the rulers were bad. There are other times we saw that the king was good, but the rulers underneath him were bad. One particular king we saw uh, turned from being a good king to a bad king as soon as Jehoiada the prophet, or the Jehoiada the priest, died. And they swayed him to even killing the sons of Jehoiada, even though Jehoiada had spared his own, own life. So these people became rich at the expense of the people. God is watching. God loves the people that they are abusing. God's view of, this, of these people is shown here. He is not one who does not care about those in power. He does not trust people with these attitudes. Now, if God doesn't trust people with these attitudes, how can we? Because God's going to have us follow the same example He, he will. Now, I made this list. There wasn't any room for me to put this into your outline. If you want to write this down somewhere, you can. I'll give it to you so that you, you can do so. And maybe down the road you can expand on this list, but I tried to keep it simple. I think we could pretty much stick with these three. There are three ways to view a ruler. Three ways. The first way, and this is what we're really seeing a lot here in Ezekiel, God is against them. They are evil. If a ruler is evil, God is against them. That's all there is to it. And I'll give you a couple examples for that. Jeroboam and Manasseh were evil rulers. Even though God had picked Jeroboam, as soon as he got into office, he took the entire nation down into the road of idolatry and was evil all his days. Manasseh was the most evil of all the kings of Judah and led them to do things with the sacrifice of babies that uh, God was just appalled at. Other kings had, had done similar, but Manasseh just multiplied it. It was far greater under him than any other. God is against them. They are evil. That is the first group. Here's the second group. God's working on them, but they're doing evil. They're doing evil things. A couple of examples here. Uh, I put Ahab in this list of examples, even though Ahab is mostly a bad king. It seems that there are times he had a heart to God. Remember one time he repented to God and, and uh, God sent a word through Elijah to him and said, all right, well, all this stuff is going to happen, but it won't happen in your day because you repented. So there seemed to be a, a little bit of a tendency to, to, to want to go there. Of course, Jezebel always kept, would be there to pull him back. But I think one of the best examples here is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar at times had a, such a heart for God, he wanted to demand all the people in the kingdom serve God. And other times he makes golden idols and uh, wants people to bow down and worship it. And if they don't, they get thrown into a fiery furnace. And then he gets uh, uh, full of pride with himself and he loses his mind and goes away from the throne for seven years, wandering around eating grass. Then he repents and he calls the God of Daniel, the God of all the earth, and glorifies him and exalts him. 
And he's just back and forth on this. So God's working on them, but they keep doing evil things. That's kind of the second group. Uh, one, God's against them. They don't seem to have a heart for God. They're not going after God in any way. And they're just evil. And God is against them. But there's another group there. God's working on them. But they're still doing evil things. Here's the third group. God is on their side despite their shortcomings. There is no ruler that we have in the Old Testament who did not have shortcomings. But God was still on their side. David had shortcomings. David did some things that were astoundingly good, but also did some things that were not so good. When he took the census, even his uh, his own men would tell him, don't do this. It's It's not good. You're not supposed to be taking the census, but no, no, get out there and take the census anyway and brought uh, judgment on. He had to choose between three things. And that's a, that's another story. Of course, Bathsheba was another one. Uh, there were times that David really missed it. But God still called him a man after his own heart. So God is on their side despite the shortcomings. Another one would be Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, we've shown, we've going over his life, we saw he had a lot of shortcomings. He kept associating with people he should not associate with. Even entering into a marriage covenant with um, his, his uh, I think it was his daughter with, uh, no, it was his son with the daughter of the king of Israel. And God, God said, you shouldn't be doing this. You should not be having this kind of thing going on. Got into a, a deal with making boats with the king of Israel and they all got lost at sea. He shouldn't have been doing it. Got into a battle with the king of Israel. And God says, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be doing this. But he did it anyway. He was he had a lot of shortcomings, but God still called him a good king. So I put them into these three groups. The first one, that God is against them. They're evil. The second one, God's working on them, but they're doing evil things. And the third one is God is on their side despite their shortcomings. So be careful who you hitch your wagon to. Now, shepherds today... We can look at pastors as being a shepherd. And certainly there is a shepherding ministry that is there. But in the Old Testament, the shepherding ministry was the rulers. It was the kings. It was those who ruled under them. It was those who ruled over cities. It was those who ruled over counties. It was those who ruled over tribes. It was the rulers. These were the shepherds. And this is who this prophecy is about. The rulers. It wasn't just the king. They, they could have rulers even without the king, and they certainly did. Because there were rulers in Israel even up up to the time of Saul, before the time of Saul. Be careful who you hit your wagon to, who you put your support behind. Because if I begin to, to support someone that God is against them, then what choice do I give myself? This is where uh, uh, Jehoshaphat kept putting God into a, a bad place because he kept uniting himself to people that God wasn't on their side. You don't want to be found supporting a Jeroboam or a Manasseh. Daniel continually worked with Nebuchadnezzar to try and bring him to the things of God, but he never compromised the things of God. If Nebuchadnezzar missed it, Daniel would tell him. If, Dan- if Nebuchadnezzar was doing something right, Daniel would tell him. And he never feared for his own life so that he would not declare the message of God. He would declare it. That's the place we have to stay. So we do have to be careful with ourselves that we don't hitch our wagon to the wrong to the wrong shepherds. And by that we mean rulers. There are, there are rulers in this, this world who are using their position, their elected position, to make themselves rich at the expense of those they're supposed to serve. 
they themselves are getting rich and the people in the areas where they are supposed to serve are poor. And they're not having the things that they need. And this certainly isn't right. I think of recent times, one of the things that just stuck to, stuck to me is very much like this is when they were trying to pass a bill to help those people that were hurt by the, um, the response that we've had for the virus and closing everything down. And there are those in Congress who insisted on putting all their pet projects into the bill and even kept the bill from going through because they wanted their pet projects to go through at the expense of helping the people. That's the kind of attitude that God says. Don't hit your wagon to people like this. That God is not on their side. And you've got to make sure that you, you stand send away. Remember in this, the story of Moses when they had the people who came and they brought the strange fire when we had the rebellion of Korah and God said, get away from them. And the people, uh, most of the people moved away. If you didn't get moved away, the earth opened up and swallowed them. But Moses declared, get away from those people. The word of God is very clear as to who is on God's side and who is not. And if I'm a servant of God, I need to understand the heart of God. And there are rulers, there are shepherds, there are pastors, there are prophets, there are people in ministry who do not have the heart of God. It is up to me to recognize who they are. And even though I may like them, when they step out of line and they move away, I cannot go with them. I remember one person in particular, uh, when I was uh, learning, I was going to school, and I was learning things. I've, t- I've told people the stories before. There were five people that I elevated to a level in my life that they were not just great teachers for me. They were influencers. They were people who greatly influenced my life. And one of those persons, I used to hang on his words that he would teach. So much so that I would actually, this is back in the days when we had tape. We didn't have uh, anything digital. I would run the, the, uh, the tape by, playing the, the message, and just to make sure I would get it all, I would write it out. I would write it out exactly what it was he was saying. And then I would just go away and meditate on the words. They were written out there in front of me so I could understand it because some of it was just over my head and I couldn't quite, quite get there. Just his teaching was just that deep. I was, in, I was thrilled with it. But eventually that teacher got off and began to teach false things. And I had to understand that that's not something I can hitch my wagon to. And I had to sever ties with something that I really enjoyed and something that really helped me but they had gone a wrong direction. And many that were around him uh, had more close contact with him than I did. Uh, confirmed, well, if you saw what was going on in the ministry down where he, he's at, you'd understand he's really gotten off and just went in a completely different direction. So even though I had good, good things from him before, I had to realize when it was time to walk away that this person had gone away from the Word. And even though I had great, uh, great things that I received from them, there was nothing anymore I was going to receive and, and never, never listen to the person again. Make sure you don't get so close to somebody that you can't say, well, God's, God has left this person. I had to leave him too. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in the situation that Samuel found himself in when Saul had gotten off and Samuel kept interceding, kept interceding, and God had to say, hey, get up. I've told you. I've rejected him. Now let's get moving. You need to go and anoint another king. And he did. 
but he kept hanging on to the old direction. Don't hang on to the old direction. God has shown you what it is. And here in this teaching with the, with the shepherds, if we have people that are more concerned with their own needs than the needs of the people, these are not people that are on God's side. These are not people that have the heart of God for their, for the, their folks. I look at some of the people that are just in Congress and how many millions of dollars, how rich they have gotten supposedly on the salary of a senator or a representative. But there's no way that you can get that rich. But they've used their position, their privileges that they have for that position to benefit themselves instead of benefiting the people. This is not the heart of God. And this is not one that God is on their side. And this, this prophecy here in Ezekiel chapter 34 is just as much against people who would do that in this country as it was against the people that would do that in Judah and all the nations that came up in between. Make sure you understand the heart of God. Stay with what God says. Don't go with what you want. Yeah, but I really like that person. doesn't matter if you really like, like that person. Where is the heart of God on the matter? Because God has pronounced the judgment on these rulers. They didn't have any pastors. The people were the shepherds were the rulers. The king had gone, but there were still other rulers that were underneath them. And God says, I'm here to judge these rulers. Look at what they have done. They have not sought after the good of the people. They sought after their own good. And God's not with that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the direction that you give us in your word. There are people, and we look at them and we say they're using their position to gain things for themselves. We may get upset. We may think that God is, is not at work. How does God allow this to go on? But here in this chapter 34, just as it was in the days of Ezekiel, and you are judging those, so it is in our day. You are seeing who is the fat lambs. You are seeing who are the thin ones. And your judgment is coming. But Father, we want to make sure that we are not on the side of the fat ones. We are on the side of the ones that have the heart of God. And not only that, but we want to make sure that we have the heart of God ourselves. That we look after the good of the people that we can help. That we can do things for. That our God wants us to be out there and to mend the needs of those that are sick. To help those that are hungry. To feed them. To go out there with the Word of God. There are people that aren't getting the Word of God. To help teach them. And to give them what they need. And Father, I thank you for the help that you give us to accomplish this. Whatever scale we're able to do, some of us were able to do it on a scale of 5 or 10. Other us, others of us, 10 or 20. Maybe some of us are in an area where we can do this with 20 or 30 people. But whatever it is, whatever we're able to do, I can't compare my 5 or 10 with somebody else's 50. Because what I can do is maybe 5 or 10. But as I minister to those 5 or 10 and help those, I'll see my supply increase and I can help more. I thank you, Father, for the blessings that come on those that are good shepherds, for the blessings on those that are good watchmen, 
We thank you those blessings can come on us too. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.